What began as an artistic endeavor in which an artist decided to copy one of the earliest 3D games somehow evolved into an entire new genre. Landscapes became people, and the people in those landscapes needed something to do, or in this case, someone to tell them what to do. This week, we're going to tell you the story of Populous, the early strategy game that created the god genre. It was developed by Bullfrog Productions and released in 1989. As part of its story, we'll learn again about the creation of Bullfrog, look at the career of the artist that helped create this game, Glenn Corpse, and yet again spend some time making fun of Peter Molyneux. So let's wait around together for some divine intervention on yet another trip down memory card lane. morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 145th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. That can be a story about a game, a console, a person, just something relevant to this week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Populous, created by Bullfrog Productions in April of 1989. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who fancies himself a god in his own right. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what are you the god of exactly? Of me. That's a very limited scope. Not a whole lot of followers, I'm assuming. I mean, I follow myself sometimes, so there's at least sometimes one. Is there any main philosophy to the the religion known as following you? Just be Rob. Just be Rob. Just be <laughs> Rob, man. Like the dude. Just be Rob. Be cool. Be cool, man. Just You just gotta do it, man. You just got to do it indeed. All right. Well, on to the weekly question. What game have you been playing or games? I maybe I'm maybe I'm being presumptuous and assuming there's one. What games have you played this past week? Well, Dave, this week saw the normals runescape rocket league and oxygen not included. How, so. how is your oxygen not included? How's your colony going? Uh, it, it's pretty stable so far. Uh, haven't, haven't lost anyone getting stuff done, but we'll see. Cause it always starts fine and then gets crappy. I, I don't know. I'm starting to get the itch to play a game like that again. We put down arc. We got to pick arc back up again. Very true. That's another one. That's just like that. Yep. 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 But actually not included. There's so many cool game mechanics in that game. We still never finished it. A colony to the end. Yeah, I can't say that I have either. Normally, yeah. it uh, collapses before then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. what about yourself, Dave? What have you been playing this week? I think we played some Rocket League last week, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, the only other game I've played this week is I finally finished Resident Evil Village this weekend. Nice. What'd you think? I, I mean, have you played through the Sev Biohazard and Village? Yep. Well, I haven't played through, but I've seen enough of it to know how it all goes. So um, I know the I story. Mean, you don't have to give away spoilers for anyone who just still hasn't played it and beaten it. Me, yeah. but what'd you think? I, I mean, I enjoyed them. I, I kind of want them to go back, like to the Resident Evil Four. Like, I really liked those few action. I know some people don't, but I liked when it was more like the action ones. And so I hope with the concept of them bringing europe into it we get to see them go back to like the resident evil 4 and stuff i definitely agree with you on that one dave i think that uh i miss the old days uh just blasting away at zombies and not having to do all the spooky or the, the uh sneaky yeah sneaky stuff so but the stories i mean i like the way the stories came together and progressed and it it made sense and i'm gonna be honest with you I didn't realize that Resident Evil 8 was the V-I-L-L -L in Village until the end of the game. <laughs> nice. 
because it colors it that way. I never, I'm sure it does everywhere, but I never paid attention to it till the final, like the end card where it goes Resident Evil Village. And I was like, huh. V I I I eight. I get it. I, was, I felt so stupid at that point. <laughs> so, um, oh, that's great. Yeah, I I don't know. You know, I I started playing these because I have all these like a bunch of games I I wanted. Got them like as Christmas presents when they first came out, and then like never touched them. And I'm playing them on my Xbox One. I'm still a generation behind. And one of the things that's standing out, which is unfortunate, is that like that thing is dated like it's seriously dated and i want to get these games done but like i want to go back to my pc we never bought an xbox x or s because you know we're, we're primarily pc gamers most of the games we play are on pc and there isn't a lot of need to buy a 500 console for the one or two games i may play on it a year type deal it's just not a, a good investment for me so I never got it, but I like I, I want to just to finish these stupid games too because like they're games I want to play. But they're I understand. I'm in the same boat as you, Dave. They're hard to play on a last generation Xbox. It's really starting to show its its uh really starting to show its age like the rest of us. <laughs> you can say that again, Dave. But I think that uh people are here to hear about a different game. They are. So Today we're learning about Populous. A have you ever heard of Populous? Not until last week. Okay, cool. That's excellent. I love I love introducing people to games they've never heard of. No, I really do. So I will say I'm very familiar with Populous. I played them. It was a, a big game at an important time in my my gaming history. So this is not something unfamiliar to me, and we'll we'll get into that. We've covered a lot of this story before. I'm not even going to lie. We Populous is created by Peter Molyneux. Molyneux. I don't remember which we determined last time. But we did a whole... I think it's Molyneux. Yeah. Um, So we covered him as part of our episode on Fable, which was episode 107. Go Go check it out. And we'll kind of briefly take that story and jump on it. We'll pick it up in 1982, where Peter Molyneux, I think it's, yeah, Molyneux and Les Edgar, they found a company to develop business software for the Commodore 64. And they name it after their shared astrological sign, which was the Taurus. And they get to work. And at some point, for reasons I, I don't remember, still still don't know if they were ever elaborated on, they accept a deal to export money systems to switzerland that makes sense in the context of business software but what doesn't make sense is another deal they accepted to export baked beans to the middle east still don't know why this came into play but here they are taurus money to switzerland beans to the middle east that makes sense huh money to switzerland yeah beans to the middle east i mean when you think of the middle east you think of baked beans well, no, that you don't think of that because they don't produce and they need them. Oh, you're very clever. Well, Switzerland apparently makes money hand over foot. So why are they sending money system? Oh, they're money systems to keep track of money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there okay. we go. See, it's all making sense, Dave. Yeah, that's what I keep you around for. And then one day they receive a call from the head of Commodore Europe who wants to discuss with them the future of the Commodore Amiga and Taurus's software's sustainability for the platform. Now, Molyneux was invited to their headquarters, where he was offered several Amiga computers and space at a show in Germany. He was told that they were eager to get his company's network running on the Amiga, and it was at that point that he realized what was going on. So... The story goes that there was a similarly named company named Taurus, T-O-R-U-S, instead of like the astrological sign, which is T-A-U-R-U-S. So the companies sound the same, but they're spelled different. And this other company named Taurus, as you may have guessed, produced networking systems. But Molyneux was called as Taurus instead of Taurus. And, you know, he really wanted the Amiga systems. So he kept his mouth shut and he took them. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's still funny. 
I know. It's not, but it is. Hey, I mean, this is this was a defining moment in Mal- Malino's career. Had he decided not to, we may not be where we are, but but here we are. So he takes all these Amiga computers and he starts writing a database program called Acquisition. Now, Commodore calls frequently, asks about a database. You know, they get impatient as the project project takes time. They threaten to shut it down. But Malino, as we know now, is a master of bullshit and talking up absolutely nothing. And so he managed to keep stalling them until he finished Acquisition, upon which he showed it at an exhibition in Germany and it ended up winning product of the year at the show. So I guess not so much bullshit at the time, huh? No, he just he was a very large procrastinator and could talk his way out of getting it done in time. That's the truth. So as part of all this, they managed to sell 2000 copies of acquisition to a company in the United States. It was a huge order and that gave them enough money to sustain their company. Afterwards, they wrote a computer aided design package for the Amiga called XCAD. And during the process, it was becoming more and more clear that the Amiga was turning into a serious gaming platform. So a friend comes to Malino and he asks him to convert a game called Druid to Enlightenment from the Commodore 64 to the Amiga. And this is where Bullfrog Productions comes into, into play. So Bullfrog was supposed to originally be a gaming brand of Taurus because Taurus was invented as a business software company and they didn't want to confuse that brand name with video games. So Bullfrog, the name simply came from an ornament of a Bullfrog located in the office. They were sitting there talking, wanting, as, as the story goes, an idiotic name. And there happened to be in front of them a colorful frog on a pedestal labeled Bullfrog by Leonardo. So Bullfrog Productions, it was. Who was Leonardo? I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if it's Leonardo da Vinci or just some random Italian guy named Leonardo or maybe just some sketchy dude on the streets of Portland named Leonardo. You just never know. Hmm. Never Interesting. know. I want to know the, uh, the back history on that Bullfrog. I, I, you know what? We should find what it looks like, but I couldn't. So, so as he started converting Druid to Taurus, the software business software company, and honestly, was running out of money. You know, they had made an acquisition, they had made XCAD, but I mean, nothing lasts forever. And Taurus was running out of money, and they decided at that point that video games were going to be the future. So they decided that they were going to shut down Taurus and start bullfrog productions as its own new company so bullfrog's first job published job so to speak was the port of druid 2 that is the first thing ever labeled under the bullfrog brand and then they got to work on their first original game now that was a scrolling multi-directional shooter named fusion so fusion was developed by bullfrog It ended up being published by Electronic Arts, and it came out in 1988 for both the Atari ST and the Commodore Amiga. Its programming and design were courtesy of Peter Molyneux, and an artist named Glenn Corpse created most of the animation and graphics for the game. And while you've probably never heard of Fusion before, have you ever heard of Fusion, like the video game? Uh, the closest I've heard is the, the a card in Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I, I expect you to make some other smart-ass joke like, sure, they still haven't perfected fusion electricity or some bullshit like that. I didn't expect a Yu-Gi-Oh joke. I'm going to give you points for that one. That's either that or Dragon Ball Z. Oh, yeah, that would I would I would have expected Dragon Ball Z, actually. Well, so I had I'm to glad. throw a curveball at you. I know. I'm glad. I'm glad you went with Yu-Gi-Oh. So fusion wasn't anything special. You controlled a ground-based crawler or a spacecraft, and you shoot at things as they come at you. It has 13 levels, and that's about all you ever need to know about it. (laughs) It was not a commercial success, and later interviews of Bullfrog employees admitted that its sales didn't even cover the paychecks of all the employees of Bullfrog at the time. Wow. 
that's uh, pretty rough. Yeah, so not a very good start. Somewhere during all this, though, as they're making games and things aren't going well, you need to blow off some steam, right? Right. So they play video games like most. I mean, I mean, a lot of game creators also play video games. That's where you get inspiration ideas and refine everything. Right, 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 right. Right. And they stumble across across a game made by David Brobin called Virus. Now, we've talked about Brobin before. He's one of the creators of the Space Simulator Elite, which was one of the which is rather one of the earliest open world games ever created. Rob, you you remember Elite, don't you? Uh, a little bit. I, a little I, I bit. may have played a game in the series once or twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did a whole episode on Elite. You can go back to our archives at www.memorycardlane.com. Click on the old episode and find the episode on Elite if you want to learn more about it. We didn't really talk much about Virus in that episode. So as part of this story, we're going to touch on it. So Virus is a ported name of a game called Zarch. Zarch was the game's name as it was created for the Acorn Archimedes computer. And now I don't know if we've ever stumbled across the Archimedes computer. It was made by Acorn, British company. Love it. Fantastic. When they ported the game over to other platforms, it became virus on the Atari ST, on the Commodore Amiga, on the IBM PC. As a side note, the IBM PC port was coded by Chris Sawyer of Roller Coaster Tycoon fame. We've covered him and Roller Coaster Tycoon in yet another episode there in the archives. Wink, wink. So Virus, and this is the only thing I think we talked about in that episode. It was a long time ago. I'm probably wrong. We covered a lot of this. Um, but Virus is one of the first 3D games ever created. And it was definitely probably the first game to have 3D lighting effects and shadowing. It featured a three-dimensional mouse-controlled craft flying over a tiled-rendered landscape. It's basically a 3D version of the arcade cabinet Defender, where you pilot a spaceship that has to defend the landscape from increasingly larger and harder waves of enemy crafts. So the concept is that the landscape is being invaded by aliens who are spreading a virus across it. So after playing Virus, Bullfrog's artist, Glenn Corpse, started drawing isometric blocks, similar to how the landscape in Virus was designed. And Peter Molyneux took those blocks and he actually created a landscape with it. He then populated it with little people that he called peeps. And they had a working demo of something. They didn't know what, because it wasn't a game. It was a landscape with people walking through it. And really all the peeps did were wander around the landscape until they reached a barrier such as water. So what Malino did next in order to give the player something to do, he developed a mechanic wherein the player could raise or lower the terrain as a way of helping the peeps get around. So there's a mountain in your way, lower it, flatten the ground. There's water in your way, raise the land and fill it in so the water goes bye bye. That's that's where they started. Hmm. Neat. And then from there, in order to reduce the number of peeps on the screen, because that was a performance problem, he decided that if a peep would encounter a piece of blank flat land, it would build a house and populate it. And a little piece of land would be a small house and a larger piece of land would allow the peeps to build an even larger house. And that, my friends, became the core mechanics for the game Populous and the birth of the God genre. Now, the God genre are games that have godlike intervention. In this case, Populous has godlike intervention and the desire for peeps to expand. So right from the get go, they had a basis and they were working on design. They attempted to prototype the gameplay by designing everything using Legos, but later admitted that that wasn't very helpful for bringing balance to a video game. But as a side note, if you ever look up Populous, you will see Legos associated with it because in some of the marketing for the game, they publicized an association with like, this is like building with Legos. So their early development attempts weren't a complete waste of time and money, but they didn't do much for working the game. 
right? Uh, yeah. Um, but they had to Plus branch Legos. out. Right. Plus Legos. But they had to branch out these mechanics. They had this core mechanic, modify terrain and build houses when you have flat, but that wasn't much too, right? So they began to branch out and develop other mechanics, other godlike powers that you could use. And as they played these, what they called developmental games, they would just go on for hours and hours and hours. So uh, there was essentially no end of the game. So then they found themselves having to decide an end game. And that gave them a framework for their game, a battle in which there are two sides that are forced to enter a conflict with one another. Seems really basic, right? I mean, that's a video game. That's a game. That's a story. Yeah, no, I'd say it's core. But they got there because they didn't have anything and were forced to decide on a framework to this mechanic that they did. Right. Right. So they have they have this right move terrain, build things. We'll get into some of the other God powers in a moment. So this all makes sense. And they're in a conflict with one another and they start testing it out. And then the testers requested a cheat code to skip to the end of the game because they had programmed essentially about 500 levels to play through of this game and this this game style. And there simply wasn't enough time. And as part of that process, the design team realized, like, hey, shit, we don't have an end to this game in any way, shape, or form. So they got their cheat code, but they also had to whip up an end. And what they did is they really just repurposed one of the screens. They're called interstitial screens. They're like, you know how in between levels you typically have a loading screen? Yeah. That's an interstitial screen. So they basically just took one of those and they, they, like, typed out an ending into it. And that became the end of the game. But like every part of the design process of this is a reaction. Like it built like from from, hey, let's draw blocks. Let's turn them into landscape. Let's put people in them. Let's decide what the people are going to do. Okay, well, now like this is boring. How can we make this interesting? Okay, well, we haven't done this. We haven't done this. We haven't done this. And that's basically how they developed Populous. It was a very reactionary process. That start out with a cool concept and then it just kind of, I don't know, webbed out, it evolved into what it is today. You picked a core and you worked it from there. Picked a core and you worked it there. They definitely, game design doesn't work a lot like that nowadays. Game design nowadays, like people go into it with a plan, like they draw game design documents. I'm not saying everyone does, but like that's the way a lot of it's done, right? You, you put everything down on paper and you work it out. But this was like the opposite. This was like, Hey, we think we have this cool working demo. What the hell are we going to do with it? But the pieces did come together and it was looking more and more like a game. So they began to shop it around to different developers. Most were really cautious, though, because there were no games to compare it to. They had nothing to say, OK, cool, like this is just like this. And it sold this many copies. So we think that it's going to be special. Like no one had made a God genre game before. And so that was a big risk for companies. And the only publisher that was in the end willing to take on that risk ended up being Electronic Arts, who Bullfrog had worked with in the past. Electronic Arts had a gap in their spring schedule and offered Bullfrog what was what's later recognized as a really atrocious contract to publish the game. It was 10% on royalty sold up to a million. And after a million, it was 12% royalties with a like pitiful upfront payment. And I know you don't have a comparison point, but that is just, it's awful. It was an awful contract. So they didn't have much faith in this game. They weren't willing to put money up front with it. And they're like, well, uh-uh. so they didn't really put anything forth. It was basically a take it or leave it. We have a gap in our schedule. You want it or not, you know? Now, we're talking about this game right now, so obviously something came from it. I'll cover that real quick. It sold like 4 million copies. Now, 4 million copies still makes it the 35th best-selling computer game of all time. Uh, that, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, for real. For real. And before we get more into the game itself, it did have expansions. I'll briefly mention them. 
uh, right off the bat, there was an expansion you can get called the Populous World Editor. It allowed players to modify the appearance of characters, cities, and terrain. Eventually, they released Populous to Promised Lands, which added five new types of landscape to the game. And later on, there was one other landscape they managed to eke out in something called Populous to Final Frontier. I mean, they, they went through the whole normal works of it, you know, so... It was it was a game like any other and had DLC and, and so on and so forth. Um, but Populous itself is kind of cool. You know, so what is Populous? What is the God genre? Rob, you you don't think you've ever played a game in the God genre, right? I genuinely don't know. Black and white Arias, or. I mean, those are some of the big ones. It's not it's nope. not a not even a, not even a remote hint of a name that I recognize. Goddess don't remember goddess at all nope so in populous and most god genre games you basically assume the role of a god and you have to lead your followers through divine intervention manipulation and direction uh each level it's you and your enemy uh you know people on one side people on the other everyone's controlled by a deity you're typically thought to be going against some other god and basically you have to defeat the enemy's followers and increase the population of your own people using your divine powers so each of the 500 levels is like a little piece of land with various landscapes on it and you do what's necessary to overtake the piece of land claim dominance over it and then you move on to the next one and you do it over and over and over for 500 plus levels and the complexity in the game lies in the maps. Different maps have different terrain. Your followers, the enemy's followers, they react differently to different kinds of terrain and to your divine intervention and how you guide them to develop on or around the terrain is really the key to it. Key to all the godlike games. So as your followers build houses, they create more followers. More followers gives you more, let's call it mana. It's like divine power. And as you get more mana, you have more divine powers, period. So let's talk about those. The powers that you can use in this game are actually really cool. Like you could create earthquakes. You could create floods. You could create swamps, which was your re your followers reacted to swamps in a different way. You could create volcanoes, which are pretty obvious what they did, right? A little they, bit, I'd say. They, they, they erupted or create yep. land. You could turn some followers into knights, which were much more efficient battle machines. So basically, you just... And, and of course, you could modify the terrain, create thunderstorm. Like, there were just these ways that you would, you would modify. Now, in a lot of ways, a godlike game is a strategy game. It falls under the strategy genre. But unlike a normal strategy game, you are not controlling the units themselves, right? In a normal strategy game, you'd click on a, a follower, you would issue a command to him, he would go do it, and that was the game. Fair statement? Absolutely, I agree. So in a normal game, you control your followers who then modify the landscape. In a god-like game, you basically control the landscape per se, and that your followers follow the lead from that it's the opposite of how strategy normally goes i can't think of any other games that are really like that if i'm thinking like outside of this genre you know what i mean yeah no i'm trying to as well and i can't everything is like direct manipulation yeah and that's i mean that's that's the way all i mean like they've modified a little bit like in black and white you were god and you also had like a creature that was like your physical representation and you could issue commands to your creature. But again, like your followers, you couldn't touch like they responded to your creature and your other divine intervention. I think Rhea's is the same way. They're all variations on the here's a divine monster control it and everyone's going to react around it, basically, which was a way of doing it. But the godlike genre is different. Yeah, no. You control the world and, and everything moves around it. There were other games in the Populous series. In 1991, Bullfrog developed Populous 2 Trials of the Olympian Gods. 
So unlike the first game, which didn't really identify any deities, this game is specifically set under the backdrop of Greek mythology. You are identified as one of Zeus's countless children with mortal women, which means you're a demigod. And you have to battle one Greek deity at a time, uh, one after another, until you finally manage to tackle them all and you get to square off against Zeus himself. Ooh, wow. And they this concept came to them when they were working on the original Populous. You know, they wanted to bring some scope to it, but they couldn't. Um, and Populous 2 is what came from it. Everything about Populous 2 is just bigger. You know, in the original game, you only had eight divine powers. Populous 2, you had 29. Populous 2 is a completely different game. It doesn't reuse any assets or code from the first one. And admittedly, it was really cool going up against all the Greek gods, if you were a history dork like me. You also got to see Greek monsters. If either side controlled 75% of the map, monsters were unleashed in the map. So like the Colossus or Medusa could be rolling around to take people down. Nice. That's and, cool. Pop- and Populous 2 had over a thousand levels too. So it was way, God way bigger. Damn. Way, way bigger. Way, way bigger. So many levels. And so these were just single player story based games. Yeah. Yeah. If I remember the first one, I didn't look at a playthrough or anything. And I kind of regret that at this exact moment. But if I remember the first one, it played like a storybook. Like each map was probably like a 12 by 12 square, let's say 20 by 20 tile map. That was like looking it's isometric. So it's like that top down, but from the side view, you know? Right. Yep. Um, and it's like looking down at a sieve map. Each tile is rep- each tile is a different terrain. Right. Mm-hmm. And you would just, you're, you know, your people would start on one side, their people would start on the other. And again, like you, you just, you modify things. Um, you couldn't just click and keep doing it. Cause you had mana. Right. And mana, like, like you needed X amount of mana to raise land or X amount of mana to lower land. And you had to wait for that to generate and it would generate faster with more followers. So the, the goal was always to get your followers someplace where they could build houses, you know, to get more followers, to get more mana. And then like, if your max mana was say, I don't know if this is the actual way it goes, but I'm just giving you this example. Let's say when you start out, you have five followers. So your max mana is five. Well, you can only do raise and lower terrain with five. But when you build a house and your followers are now seven, when you have seven mana, now you can also cast Thunderstorm. And then when you have nine mana, now you can also create a volcano. And when you have 11, you can, you know, you can turn a knight. Does that make sense how that all worked? Yeah, it definitely does. Okay, so so each I mean, in each game, your people started each map, your people started a different area and there were different terrain to work around. So like. You couldn't really do anything with desert at a, or like those are just examples, you know? So it was, it was very much like a puzzle game too. Cause you had to figure out how to make it work with your people on each, on each individual map too. In 1998, Bullfrog developed the third game in the series, which was called Populous the beginning. This one was a little different. You don't actually play as a God, uh, but rather you play as a shaman who has, who, who is in charge of leading your people against its enemies. Now, it only has 25 missions to its campaign, but each level is bigger than previous games. And as the shaman, you're trying to become a god, basically going from level to level, which is a planet. And that's what I mean by levels are bigger because like it's 3D and you can rotate and everything. So you're going from this little planet to planet across the solar system, trying to dominate enemy tribes. And as you dominate more tribes, you tap into new sources of power. Now, this is the first 3D entry in the series. This is the concept that they had early on, but they had to wait for the technology, the hardware. They had to basically wait for technology to come up, come up with it. They had to wait for computers that could do 3D the way they envisioned it in their head. So uh, this is also the first game in the series that Malino wasn't involved with. He had actually sold Bullfrog to Electronic Arts in 1995. We covered that in the Fable episode, but somewhere in, I think, 97 to 99, he left Bullfrog and went to Microsoft, I believe. Uh, well, well, no, he formed Lionhead, which was eventually sold to Microsoft. That's how it goes. So Populous, the beginning, adopts more elements of a real-time strategy game. It's it's more strategy than, than pure godlike, because you could 
you're controlling a shaman, right? And that shaman directly controls the actions of followers by ordering them to build structures or attack enemies. So this is more of a hybrid of a godlike and a, a traditional strategy game. As a shaman, you could use magic spells. Um, you could create tornadoes. You could create volcanoes. Um, basically, you needed to use your followers and your powers to overwhelm your enemies with superior numbers. And that's really all the core games in the Populous series. They did make one more. In 2008, they brought the classic Populous formula to the DS. Um, it was, you know, they made a lot of games back then that they thought would be very cool and take advantage of touchscreen controls. They were mouse-based games. They did that. This is very much a game that played well with that. It's pretty much the, the, the core from the original couple games, specifically the original itself reimagined on the ds it's got new game modes and challenges and some new things but it looks and plays like the original populace um and so that's i mean that's pretty much what it is it's it's called a remake of populace how about we do that makes sense yep now there have been some other games in the series uh not series but in the genre uh, I'll touch base on some of those a little bit. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really, some of these I don't, I'm on the Wikipedia page right now for, for list of God video games. And I don't agree with all of these. Like for instance, they have theme hospital in here. I don't think I would classify theme hospital as a God game. It's a simulation to me. So, uh, but there's some of the standard ones creatures. There's a whole series called creatures that definitely goes in here. Doshin the Giant, which we actually talked about. I think it was part of the, it was going to be a Nintendo 64 DD game. And then it became a Nintendo 64 game. Isn't that the one where like it had an expansion where you had to like get Doshin's heart? Do you remember vaguely talking about something like that? Mm, can't say that I do, Dave. That one's escaping my memories. Yes, 64DD, they made an expansion to it that was on the 64DD, where you had to, yeah, basically get people to love you or something weird like that. It was something weird. Doshin a Giant, that's one of them. The Dungeon Keeper series, also created by Bullfrog and P Peter Molyneux, that's in there. Black and White, that's my favorite addition to the series. Black and White was in 2001. Made by Lionhead, which of course, that's Peter Molyneux too. This is what he did with the genre afterwards. Basically, you take on the role of a god ruling over several islands that are populated by various tribes. And you could either be a good god or an evil god. You had control over it. The game would basically change, you know, based on if you were benevolent or not. There were different tribes like Norse, Celtic, Japanese, your villagers and everything was was um, influenced that way. So it was really cool to do stuff like that. Viva Pinata, they call it a God game. Spore, I guess I'll call Spore uh, a God game in the genre. I swear that when we were talking about this, when you first asked if I knew about them, you mentioned specifically Viva Pinata and Spore. Probably. I probably did it in the Lionhead episode because I remember vaguely talking about black and white and you were like, I don't know what that is. And I was like, how can you not know black and white? It's sitting on my desk. It's really sitting on my shelf. I bought both black and white one and two. So nice. Of course you did. Modern versions of the game 2011, not too modern from dust 2013 Reyes 2013 goddess 2018, the universe sim um 2019 rise to ruins and 2021 world box which is basically just like world simulators those are called god games technically so so nothing in the last few years huh nothing in the last few years a god game is an artificial life game that casts a player in the position of controlling the game on a large scale as an entity with divine and supernatural powers as a great leader or with no specified character such as in spore and places them in charge of a game setting containing autonomous characters to guard and influence. Honestly, I think Populous is important for creating the genre, and it's important as a very important step in Peter Molyneux's life. But let's be honest, no one's really um no one's really heard of Populous. They haven't even made a game in the Populous series since the D 2008 on, on the DS, so it is what it is, you know? 
It's still the 35th best-selling video PC game of all time, though. Can't deny that with how many games there are out there. Which is so crazy that I have not heard of this at all, and it's top 35. Yeah, like, I know. I mean, I guess it's because it's been around for so long, and there are people who have probably bought it and bought it and bought it because they want to play it randomly after, like, 20 years of nostalgia, but it's just crazy. So other games that have sold 4 million copies... Uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. It's right next Makes to the sense. list on that. Deep Rock Galactic has hit 4 million. DayZ. Mm-hmm. Diablo 2 sold 4 million copies. It's on the same level as Diablo 2. Crazy to think of. It sold slightly more than Dark Souls, which is currently at 3.6 million. Wow. And slightly less than The Forest or SimCity 3000, which sit at 5 million. SimCity 3000, really? Yep, SimCity 3000 sold 5 million copies. So did wow. Guild Wars 2. Yeah, so Guild Wars 2. Mist sold 6 million. Valheim sold 6 million. StarCraft 2 sold 6 million. We did an episode on that recently. Well, not 2. Well, I was involved in 2. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'd never heard of this, even though it was... Sold so many. I mean, I've heard of every single one of those other games you mentioned. But yep, just well, I guess just because of the age of it, it's. I know. So we're talking about legacy in the series as we've gone down the series, and as for the people and the companies in this story, we've talked about much of this group before. Bullfrog Productions was really a powerhouse studio in its day. It produced. So many games that I have very treasured memories of. I I remember putting countless hours into populous games. Um, But other games that Bullfrog made hold just as much reverence for me. The Syndicate series, probably one of my earliest cyberpunk influences. The Magic Carpet series. Theme Hospital. Theme Park is probably one of the games I owe my love of of theme game like theme games to. I remember being addicted to Theme Park and then wanting our parents to buy me every single game that they could find that had the word tycoon in it. Literally, mm. I have I have discs upon discs of the trashiest games ever, like Pizza Tycoon and Mall Tycoon and Lemonade Stand. I mean, like everything that had the word tycoon in it. Whoa, whoa, hold up! Lemonade Tycoon was legit. I know, but you know what I mean. These most of the games that have the word tycoon in them are like budget budget box titles, which is why I have so many of them, because they were one and two dollars and dad didn't care about throwing two dollars my way. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I get it. I that's yeah. I was also very much into them. So we had we had so many budget bin games. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so Bullfrog very storied library of games dungeon keeper that's another series that was one of the last ones but like i said malano sold them to electronic arts and electronic arts exerted their influence over them several projects were canceled a lot of people departed the company malano included and bullfrog released its final game in 2001 which is known as theme park incorporated and what was left of the studio at that point was quietly merged into EA UK. Now, the artist who got the populist project going, Glenn Corpse, didn't stay an artist throughout his time with Bullfrog. He held multiple positions with the company, including head of technology and head of research and development. He also left during the mass exodus. In 1999, he founded a company called Lost Toys, uh, alongside a other couple of other former Bullfrog employees. That studio developed two games. In August of 2000, they released a game called Ball Breakers that is so unremarkable, the Wikipedia entry doesn't even tell you anything about it. It just says it's an action game. There's a little... It's a great name. There's a little interview blurb in the reception uh, column that says it was inspired by Marble Madness. So... I don't know. Maybe it's a violent marble smashing game. I'm sure we could look up a playthrough and find out. But I mean, it's not even important enough to have a, a, a notable Wikipedia entry. I just moved on. In 2003, they released a first person shooter called Battle Engine Aquila. And afterwards, the studio shut up 
like they closed their doors. They went bankrupt and closed their doors after Battle Engine Aquila. <laughs> Glenn Corpson founded another studio called Weirdwood. Couldn't find any information on Weirdwood. At some point, he worked for Electronic Arts. Found that in his resume. He also worked with 22 Cans on Peter Molyneux's What's in the Box game. Do you remember that at all? Uh, uh, I remember like hearing about it, but like, like what's in the box, but like, I can't tell you specifics. Seriously, was, like, seriously, check out, games. check out Peter Molyneux's episode. I think it's 107. The game's called Curiosity. What's inside the cube. I'm not exaggerating. It's literally like, I, th- I see that every time. And all I can hear is Brad Pitt going, what's in the box. I mean, every time. So, and now yeah, that, that definitely uh, sounds familiar. Yeah. Yep. Just that. The person, so literally, the game's called Curiosity, What's Inside the Cube, question mark. And the person who answered that question won a super special prize. That's what I'll tell you. If you want to know more, go back to the episode and listen. Uh, Glenn Corpse helped work on a few iOS titles, including Ground Effect and Fat Owl with a Jetpack. Um, yeah, what? That's, that's it. Fat Owl with a Jetpack. And then most recently, he's managed to find work in like the augmented reality and virtual reality realms. He's he's working for a company doing like as head of research and for an AR VR firm. So that so Glenn Corpse is still active in the gaming industry. Speaking of being active in the gaming industry, jury's still out on whether or not Peter Molyneux is uh, 22 cans made some games after the what's in a box game. One's the Godus game that's in this uh, God making genre. Uh, but that was 2017, and we really haven't heard from him since. Go back to episode 107. Check him out. He sold Bullfrog to EA, like I said, left the company to go found Lionhead, created this little game that nobody knows. It's called Fable. I don't think you've ever heard of it. Uh, and then he he left Microsoft eventually and uh, made this weird game called What's in a Box. That's, that's literally his life. Hmm. And while we're revisiting the life of Peter Molyneux, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about something related to him that we didn't get to cover last time. Rob, I would like to introduce you to Peter Molyneux. Oh. Peter Molyneux is a parody Twitter account of Peter Molyneux. It was started in 2009. It parodies all of the absolutely audacious gaming ideas that Malino is known to come up with. Cause the one thing that you'll learn in that episode, he is the king of bullshit in the gaming industry. I mean, the man made a game called what's in the cube and marketed it as the greatest game ever gifted to mankind. Now the guy who created this parody Twitter account, Adam Capone is actually a game artist. He has some decent credits under his wing. He's worked on gears of war and saints row, just to name a couple. And he really, really admired Peter Molyneux's ambition. He liked the way he tended to overstate everything. And he especially enjoyed the way that Peter Molyneux never played it safe in an industry where every big gaming company and studio only wanted to be safe. No one wanted to do anything new. You know what I mean? Right. So his idea was to turn Peter Molyneux into a tragic comic character who is full of creative ideas that are continually continuously received by an unkind or indifferent audience. So he started this account about when like literally like a week or two after Peter Molyneux had announced project Milo. Now project Milo, which we talk about in our Molyneux episode is a connect project that Molyneux was part of. It it was a project that really didn't go anywhere. Uh, And as it went along, Adam Capone was modeling Maladu's tweets from Malano's speeches. So all of this stuff came from a very real place. Now, when Project Milo content dried up, he started tweeting about clever game design and Malano's signature over-the-top style. And one of his recurring themes was the untapped potential of emotional gaming experiences. And the tweets frequently asked followers to imagine games crossing over into real life. And there was also a Retro Do series where he proposed bold updates to classic games. At one point, he turned classic epic game designer Cliffy Blazinski into a foil into his adversary. Cliff Blazinski was made to be everything Molyneux wasn't, young, trendy, and supportive of everything in gaming that Peter Molyneux would hate. 
And then, yes, if you were in case you were wondering, Malino was introduced to his parody eventually. It should come as no surprise that with his big head, he hated it at first. He thought it made him look pathetic and impotent, but eventually he appreciated to he grew to appreciate the creativity. In fact, once he came around, he admitted that the account reminded him of his energy that he put into gaming early in his career before all of his corporate dealings took it away. And he cited it as one of the things that helped him decide helped him decide to walk away from Microsoft when he chose to do so. Now one now one interesting thing else to come with it, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it, because right now it's just a parody. I got some good tweets for you, Rob. Oh, okay. In 2012, followers of the Maladu account actually began to plan a Maladu game jam. Their idea was to hold an event in which game developers would create a game based on one of Maladu's tweets over the course of a weekend. The event was first called What Would Maladu? Question mark, but eventually now it's known as the Mali Jam. And it started as a San Fran event, but eventually turned into an international event. There are game jams, Mala jams held in 32 locations across the world. Uh, many have keynote speakers, which have actually included Peter Molyneux himself. Um, now, the Twitter account is mildly active. His latest post was exactly a month ago. They don't, uh, t- t- he doesn't tweet all the time. But uh, here's his tweet from a month ago. Imagine a game where all the players are AI. You just have to create a world for them to live within. Oh, that's right. I already did that back in the early 90s. Hmm. I nice. like that one because I thought it was relevant to our topic today. A little bit. That's that's good. His one before that, on April 14th, he tweeted an announcement. My new game will be delayed by nine months to add polish. This new groundbreaking feature allows the player to polish absolutely anything in a world that is continuously gathering dirt in real time. Okay. And there are some other gems in there. Excited about creating a remake of one of my games. I just need to create the original first. (laughs) Imagine a Metroidvania style game where you lose all emotions and have to slowly gain them all back again, using each one to discover new depths to your inner soul. If a game has fast travel, it means the designers don't have much faith in their game. My new game is so continuously incredible that I'm introducing the world's first slow travel system to help prolong the experience. I love that one. Imagine a game where you play as a family in a domestic house. However, all the houses are on large cars that are driving along a racetrack. Actions in your household affect acceleration, braking, filling up on gas, and so on. Hmm. Imagine an online racing game that plays the current leader's Spotify playlist to everyone behind them. Wow. (laughs) Now that would be good. I want to make a dancing game featuring only old people with disabilities. (laughs) (laughs) There are games that have been made as a result of Molly Jam. The only one, I mean, the only one I can think of right now is Donut Country. If you ever see a game about Donut Country, that started as as a Molly Jam. But there are some really notable, interesting proposals that the parody count has come up with. Uh, here's, Here's 11 of them. A racing game in which the player controls the road instead of the vehicle. A connect game in which the player must cry to open a gate. An eight-person online multiplayer game in which each player controls one leg of an octopus. Okay. The final segment of a war game in which the player pauses in silence at the tombstone of each killed-in-action recruit. Damn. A 3D adventure game in which the amnesiac player awakens in a museum with a room dedicated to each year of the character's life. The player holds a radioactive baby, which acts as a torch in a dark environment. Rocking the baby increases its luminescence. (laughs) Okay. The player pretends to be blind and must walk into objects to avoid suspicion. A bear must hug people in order to live, but crushes the people he hugs. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So dark. A pigeon carries sentimental objects to businessmen to persuade them not to kill themselves. Oh. A divorced father sneaks into his family house to help with chores without alerting them. Oh, (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. When the player kills henchmen in one game, the player sees reoccurring images of those henchmen's crying children in an unrelated sports (laughs) video game. (laughs) I can't even. I can't even. Oh man, a version of Street Fighter in which streets fight other streets. 
Yes. That's the one. Oh my god. Streets Alive. I didn't get to talk about Paladu last time. I thought this was a good opportunity to bring it up. Because that's... It's... It's clat. This parody account's great. I love it. There's a lot of tweets to it, too. Does sound pretty hilarious there, Dave. I'm glad that you mentioned that one. I think Populous is aged. It's a hard game to recommend. I mean, you know me. I say play everything. I know they updated it with Populous DS. Um, and you can buy Populous, the original, on good old games for like six bucks. It's it's easy to get your hands on. I mean, play it. Play it for history. Play it for good old games. That's what I have to say about that. Or go watch a video on it. Or go watch a video on it. We covered a lot of stuff this episode and referenced a lot of stuff in old episodes. So again, Rob, if people wanted to find those old episodes, where could they go? And what, what else can they find there? Uh, well, Dave, I think that they can go to www.memorycardlane.com where you can find previous and future topics for our episodes. Yeah. You can find some information about previous episodes we've done, such as, uh, you know, listening to them on all of your favorite listening platforms. And you can find uh, some social media for Dave and I. Uh, I am on most of my things, which is Twitch and uh, sometimes Twitter, as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor. And Dave? You can find me on various platforms as David is wrong. Well, ladies and gentlemen, each week we tell you a story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history, hoping to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy today we told you the story of populace and the creation of the god genre each week we do this we research we get to tell you stories and when we research and tell you stories we learn things it's the best part about doing this website website about doing this podcast week in week out so in recognition of this learning environment that we create in doing so, we like to talk about our takeaways. So, Rob, what did you learn today? Um, well, I'm pretty confident after talking about that parody account that it's actually Malanu. Maladu, what would Maladu? Malanu, Maladu. You're probably right. I was thinking about it, but that's okay. Um, but no, I think that the, the, the biggest takeaway was that there was a computer called the Acorn. The brand was called the Acorn. Well, yeah, the brand of the computer was called the Acorn, but that's like Apple Acorn. Come on, come on. Who, which they was were, first? Which they were they were British. Acorn was British. Yes, but are you telling me that just because it was British, like which one was created first? I have no clue. I bet you if you look it up, you'll see someone copied someone. <laughs> okay. What came first, the Acorn or the Apple? Oh, I actually have to look it up. Okay. No, 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 Dave. It's it's what came first, the chicken oh, oh, or the it, egg? It's a philo- philosophical uh, question, huh? Exactly. One led to the other. Acorn Computers founded in 1978. Apple Computers founded when? When was Apple founded? Do you know? Not off the top of my head. I don't remember the exact year. Oh, 1976. Well, looks like the Apple came before the Acorn, so how do you figure that? We answered the question. Weird. Though. It is very, very, very weird. So awesome. What did I learn? Nothing. No, I'm just what? kidding. You didn't learn anything, I'm, Dave. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I never knew the progression of where populace came from. That it started out as you know just them making blocks to say, "Hey, virus is pretty cool. I think I can do something that looks like that." I didn't know that's where it started, and it just kind of snowballed into the video game that we know of today that started a whole genre. That's really interesting. That's it. That's my takeaway. Hey, I think that's a great takeaway. And I think that's a good it's place a, to call it, huh? I, I think so. But, you know, it's a game that you played a lot about. You didn't know anything. And uh, a game I've never heard of that I learned everything. There you go. Well, before we take it out of here, is there something that you'd like to add to today's episode? As always, I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to everyone for listening it means the world to us, and we hope you enjoy. And if not, well, that's too bad. Awesome. Well, on that note, 
I'm going to go to next week. Because this week we learned about the God-like genre. And next week we're going to learn about a whole other genre. Rob, the game that inspired it is one of the... Probably the newest game we've covered in a long time. And it is the game that the easiest way to give you a clue and see if you'll get it. It was the viral hit of the pandemic. Do you remember what game that was? Was it E.T., the extraterrestrial? Ah, uh, man, wrong pandemic, man. That's the 1983 influenza. Wrong oh, pandemic. damn. Good, good, good answer, wrong pandemic. Well, then I'm going to have to guess. You know what, Dave? I don't know. It, it, this one's kind of eluding me. It's a little sus. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, yeah, you know. 2018 online multiplayer social deduction video game Among Us. Rob, you've played a lot of Among Us, haven't you? No, actually, I haven't played a lot of it, but I am very familiar with the game and the tactics. Um, we'll talk more about it in next week's episode, but uh, yeah, I didn't get to play a whole lot of it. Well, as part of our story, we'll learn about uh, Among Us, where it comes from and how it's developed. But we're also going to learn about the game that game set inspired it. So we're going to talk about the creation of Mafia, which was the very first social deduction game. And we'll talk about how Mafia turned into a social deduction genre. And we'll kind of segue that into the game itself. So next week, we're going to learn all about social deduction video games. So, you know, put your head down. Let's call a meeting. Figure out who the imposter is next week on yet another trip. Dumb memory card lane. Do the thing. Doop 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 do